Welcome to episode 176 of the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. My name is Brian Lofermento, and this is a featured Friday episode where I interview Ashley Ryle. Ashley is the founder and chief strategist at Untapped Social, which is a content strategy consulting firm out of Greater Boston, which is originally where I'm from. They support sales and talent teams with content and social social strategy for better lead generation. It's so much fun how we talk about in this interview the way that Ashley has grown her business. In one month alone, she made more than she made in all of 2016 combined. So you're gonna hear about her journey from her humble beginnings to the successful entrepreneur that she is today. Ashley, just like a lot of you listeners, consumed my content, took one of my courses, is a regular listener of the podcast, and she rocks because she not only listens and consumes content, but actually executes and implements. And I've got so much respect for her as an entrepreneur. Sales executives lean on Ashley to coach their teams on how to leverage content for faster prospect meetings. And she partners with heads of talent acquisition to empower employees to be online brand ambassadors. Ashley actually spoke at one of my search engine optimization seminars back in 2013, so we have a long working history together. It's been so much fun to watch her rise as an entrepreneur. She's a national speaker on all things social media for sales, content for thought leadership, and employer branding. I'm not going to tell you any more about Ashley. We're going to jump into the interview right now. Let me officially welcome you to the Entrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast. I've been so excited about this interview for the past few weeks, but you've been globetrotting. So Ashley, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me, Brian. My pleasure. I'm so excited. So I've already introduced you to listeners, and let me just allow you to fill in the gaps. Tell listeners what it is that you do and give them a little preview of what your entrepreneurial journey has been so far. And don't be afraid to talk about what you did before your entrepreneurial journey because so many people like to hear, well, yeah, Ashley, you didn't have any formal training in entrepreneurship. You were working a nine to five just like everybody else. Walk us through your background. Yeah, great. So I've always loved marketing. Uh, even before I studied abroad in Australia, I've, I've, I've just been immersed in it. And at the same time, my mom has a longstanding history of uh, career development. So I had a resume when I was 15 years old. I've always looked at my career um, from, from that type of lens. And it's really evolved into this intersection where career development and marketing, where personal branding and social media collide. Uh, so I've had social media roles at software companies, at two recruitment firms uh, before launching my own business. So I've always been in that talent space, Brian, uh, under a similar capacity. Uh, but I really wanted to have something that I could call my own. Uh, I don't know if there's an entrepreneur gene or not, but I definitely knew it was time to uh, venture out, which was as anyone can probably attest, the one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, leaving a job I loved, leaving a group of coworkers that I loved uh, for something greater, for something bigger. 
Uh, no, I didn't have any formal training. I'm not sure a lot of entrepreneurs I know do, uh, but it's 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 really relying on that um, on that internal knowing that you're you're bound to do something greater. You're you're bound to do something bigger than yourself. Um, so I, I took what I knew and I didn't know much <laughs> uh, to really build something and craft something that's ever changing. Yeah, I love that. And it's been so much fun for me. So just so listeners know, you and I have known each other personally through your husband knows my brother and I've played soccer with your husband. And so we've known each other for a few years now. And it's fun for me to see your own entrepreneurial journey because I knew you when you were still in the nine to five world. Talk me through what that jump looked like for you and what it felt like for you because so many entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who are listening to this interview, they're in that situation and actually they don't know when the right time is. Talk to me about that huge decision because I remember making that leap. It's scary. It's exciting. It's all these things at the same time. Walk me through that pivotal part of your journey. Yeah, great question, Brian. Uh, and and do you ever fully know when is there really ever the perfect time? I would argue there isn't. I just didn't want to wake up at 40 years old thinking I had wasted prime years of my life working for someone else's dream. Um, that that much I knew. And um, I overanalyze. I overthink. I'm I'm timid. I'm reserved. I, I'm not. I'm not even very clear in a lot of my decisions that I make, even still today. However, leaving a job you love um, was the hardest thing I've ever done. I just remember. I just remember there was there's a there was a time where the rubber met the road. Where yes, I was I was in a job that was satisfying me socially, but I was capped. I, I was limited in my ability to take risks, to to try things, to fail, to innovate, to adopt a new technology when all the bugs weren't worked out yet. There were there were limitations that I had in my professional career that I I I just that gave me so much angst. Um, and I was also commuting an hour each way and for an introvert, uh, that wasn't something that I could sacrifice. In Boston, in particular, some of the larger cities, a lot of my colleagues and peers just kind of suck it up, and they say, "Well, that hour-long commute twice a day is just what I need to do. I need, I need. That's what I settle for. That's not something I could settle for, Brian. I would rather work those hours doing something that I loved rather than sitting in traffic. And there's only so many podcasts, yours included, that I could listen to before <laughs> before enough was enough. So. I remember specifically, uh, I dragged my feet for six months. Six months, I didn't tell my boss. Every single day, I was, Chris, my husband, was asking me, have you given your notice yet? Have you given your notice yet? Have you quit yet? <laughs> and, and he's such a great proponent of what I was, what I, he knew I wanted to do, but I was scared shitless to tell a boss that had personally invested in me that I was leaving her and that I was leaving this team um, and I remember the day it happened, I cried in her office for an hour. <laughs> um, but I've never looked back. And I recently uh, posted on February 1st was my two year anniversary. And I posted a two year anniversary video on LinkedIn. And I have never once regretted my decision. Yeah. Um, it's it's true. And, and a lot of folks maybe have like there's there's going to be 
ton of times where that's the case. I just knew that it was something that this was a long-term strategy. This wasn't something where I'm going to see if I can do it. This is something that I know I'll be doing for life. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to pull out two things in what you just said. First, a Chinese proverb comes to mind based on what you said, where the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. And you're right. I mean, you, it's a complicated decision. You can delay and you can delay. And, and who knows? Most people probably go their whole lives without taking action and pulling the trigger on what it is that they dream of. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. And the second thing that comes to mind, Ashley, is I remember you and I got coffee in Boston a few years ago. And that's incredible that here we are now, two years into your entrepreneurial journey. That's so incredible. I love seeing that. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. And I remember one of our coffee shop conversations before you'd quit your job. And, and you, <laughs> the thing that's funny is you came with a notebook full of questions for me. <laughs> and you started going down and you said, okay, Brian, like, what do I do about health insurance? How much money should I save up? And I said, Ashley, all of that stuff will figure itself out. In hindsight, talk about all those questions that were delaying you actually jumping in and doing what you already knew was right. Because you only had those questions because you knew that it was the right move. But those were all the things that most people, they go their whole lives not taking action on because there are these little details that they're worried about. So health insurance, how much money do you need to save? What's your answer to entrepreneurs about that? Yeah, if... If you know it's the right move, you'll figure it out. It's just what you said. There's there's no other answer. Um, on being an entrepreneur, you you I discovered a lot of grit that I had buried for a long time. I discovered a lot of resourcefulness um, that I knew I had in me. Uh, those those were excuses, Brian. Those were um, op, minor obstacles um, in my way to something that I already knew was for me. So. If, 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 if folks are worried that those are the types of things that are going to hold them back, I think it's really just a mental game um, because you will figure it out. Um, yeah, I didn't have insurance for a while. I didn't have a, a, a savings account to rely on. Um, but I know, I know single moms with two kids that are leaving their corporate jobs to start businesses. You figure that shit out. And really, at the end of the day, it's not that hard to do. It's so much harder. Like, like as you say, Ryan, and you, I know you're such a proponent of quotes, you, you, what's, what's your quote about, like, you are the only reason that you build up walls around yourself. You're only confined by the walls you've built yourself. Yep. Um, and usually those walls are mental. <laughs> so I was just get, I, in that conversation with you, I was just providing excuses. I wanted to rely on those things to keep me in a comfortable situation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, comfortable is easy, or at least it feels safer until you wake up 40 years from now being like, holy cow, I wish I did things differently. But Ashley, you've had some big wins along the way. You and I exchanged emails a few weeks ago where you told me last January you made more in that month than you made in all of 2016 alone. That's incredible, and it's worth <laughs> celebrating. Talk a little bit about that. How has your journey progressed from kind of finding your own way, finding your feet, figuring out how to close sales, figuring out how to find new customers and clients to having huge months like you did last January? Right, right. A couple of things come to mind, Brian. Uh, I I try to learn from every situation, every book that I read from 
folks in my network. A couple uh, big pieces of advice here that are the reason why I've had such big wins is uh, value is about perception. So I'm reading um, Alan Weiss's book, How to Be a Millionaire Consultant, or whatever the title is, and it's you really have to tr- educate people how to treat you, and that translates to how you price and value your services, and that's definitely something that I've grappled with since day one, and um, like a lot of listeners, uh, really struggle with how to price and package their services. Um, so uh, really educating folks on how to treat you and, and the value that you bring is, is based on how you communicate it, uh, and how you really value your own strengths and expertise that you bring to the table. So that's definitely one thing. The other thing is, um, so I was going to bring this up later, but Chris, so my husband's got a background in accounting and finance operations, and he has this joke with me, Brian. It's almost like a competition. He says to me all the time, Ashley, if you're not getting any no's on the proposals that you're sending, you're not charging high enough. Love that. (laughs) And he's been great because I tend to be very reserved and undersell myself. Um, And I, I know a lot of women entrepreneurs in particular that I've talked to do the same thing and it's a theme with us and um so i i have almost a running tally how many no's did i get this month (laughs) did i get enough (laughs) and um there are times where i've gone into clients that i absolutely love working with they're they're my number one or number two client i would work for them for free if i could in in an ideal world and i remember going in to um, our meeting where I we were talking about our renewal for our partnership for the next year, and uh, I came in with a, an amount that was double the amount that I had charged them for the previous year. And the managing partner just looks at me and he goes, "Okay, so you're doubling it, right?" And I and I said clear in the face without one <laughs> ounce of doubt, I said yes. And he goes, "Okay," and he signs the paper. <laughs> He signs the contract. So it's it's it really comes back to being firm in the expertise that you provide and being relentless. And I, I'm not going to lie. There are times where I still fall victim to that. There are times that I still don't get it right. There are times that I still really doubt sending a contract for 15 grand. Um, <laughs> but it's I've needed these two years uh, to really – undersell myself and to really get those no's and those yeses to, to really figure out um, how much I'm worth. Yeah, I love that. And that's also something that I can relate to earlier on in my entrepreneurial journey. Back in 2012, I had one of the most pivotal meetings of my life. So I was meeting with the CEO, the CFO, and a few strategic advisors to this company actually in Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. And my business partner and I sat in the parking lot before we walked into that meeting. And we typically charge, Ashley, this is embarrassing for me to admit now, we typically used to charge at that point around $2,000 to $3,000 for a project. And for some reason that morning in the parking lot, right before we walked into the meeting, (laughs) we were feeling very brazen and very daring. And we said to each other, 
when they ask for the price today, let's tell them it's $8,000. And we felt like such ballers. We were like, what, 24 <laughs> years old or something. And so in that meeting, Ashley, at the end, I totally nailed the pitch. And then the CEO goes, okay, how much is it? And I stared them all dead in the eyes. And I said, $8,000. And Ashley, they laughed. And one of the guys in the room said, that's great. We don't even need approval for that. We can just expense it. <laughs> So talk to me about that, because you're right, there is definitely some sort of gender difference there as well. Almost all of my female students, whenever they come into my programs, I have a rule. If you want to work with me, you have to be willing to ask for at least $1,000 when you sell your services. Now, some women, when they enter my programs, they say, well, can I start out at $500? Whereas the guys, when they're applying to join my programs, they'll say, can I charge 2K or 3K or 4K or 5K? And I'm like, heck yeah, go for it. So what is it, Ashley, about asking for those higher amounts? What makes it so difficult? And how did you blast through those barriers? Right. What makes it so difficult to ask for those high numbers? It, it kind of goes back to the common fear that a lot of us have that we're a fraud or that we don't deserve the amount that we're given. But then I think about all the hard tasks and responsibilities and projects I've done over the last eight years that are worth so much more than that <laughs> when you think about it. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's fear. It's, it's, it's fear that we're not good enough to charge that amount. Who are we to ask for that amount of money? Um, but my answer to the the way I've broken through that barrier is if you're not charging at least a, a middle amount, people start to think that your product or your service is cheap. Mm -hmm. And I've just heard that a lot, you know, in the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. But then I found it to be true <laughs> because I would hear a client tell another client in passing or accidentally that I was, I was cheap or that, like you said, they don't even need to get approval for that. And I, I know that there is a certain lifestyle I want to lead. There are certain things that I want to pay for. And you know what, there are, there's a certain level, a certain lifestyle that I want to lead that is required in order for me to do my best work. And therefore I have to have a standard. I have to feel like the deliverables that I'm providing to a client are something that I can get behind and that I feel that they're paying me adequately for what I'm delivering. And yeah, so when I only charge two grand, I'm worried that the CEO that I'm giving my contract, my proposal to is just going to laugh in my face. And so there, there almost has to be a, a high enough dollar amount attached to what you're offering so that people know that you're serious, but also that you're legit and that you're going to bring the best damn result possible. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that I share too, Ashley. I feel like as entrepreneurs, our clients or customers should be a little uncomfortable with the price that they're paying because that means that they are invested. And I've found this to be true, Ashley. When I first started selling online programs, teaching people my marketing principles, when I was selling programs for like 27 bucks, no one was getting results because they weren't taking it seriously. 
And so mm-hmm. when someone pays $4,000 to join one of my programs, they're invested and they're saying to themselves, there's no way I'm not going to do this. And I bet you have found the caliber of your clients has risen as your prices have risen. Has that been true for you? Absolutely. Absolutely, Brian. And you, there's always going to be people that are cheap and that won't pay for your services. But if you double the price or triple your price, you'll find folks that will pay for it. And like you said, you're invested, they're invested. It's, it's, a, it's a mutually beneficial, but also mutually respectful relationship. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to call out one thing that I think you've done incredibly well over the course of your two years so far with Untapped Social, and that is you've really found your corner of the market. And Ashley, I can say this confidently and really excitedly, you are obsessed with serving the people who it is that you serve. I mean, when I go to your website now, untappedsocial.com, I can see you ask right up front. Hey, are you in sales, talent acquisition, or are you in marketing? And it's really cool for me to see the way that you've lined up your business and your website because you serve people who are in sales very differently than how you serve them if they're in talent acquisition. So you've really honed in on what the different segments of your market need. Talk about that process. How have you dialed it in so well into those three segments? And how have you decided how you're going to serve each of those three segments? Yeah, great question, Brian. In all fairness, I have you to thank for that. I really do. You were the first, very first person two and a half years ago when we were having that conversation in Boston over coffee that really introduced me to the customer avatar. Uh, Of course, I could have found it online or, or I would have found it out eventually. However, after I talked to you, I encountered the beginning stages or a piece of your ultimate profit model. Uh, and I remember getting that thumb drive in the mail and going through each and every one of those um, tutorials with that thumb drive. And that's how I learned about the lead magnet and more specifically the customer avatar. And what's interesting is you are so clear about how I needed to know my market inside and out and that it, it wasn't a 35 to 40 year old male or female. It was no, a 35 year old male was my target market. And you were so crystal clear about what I needed to do and what your audience needed to do to really understand who those individuals are. And I've really taken and run with that over the last two years. And other entrepreneurial um, trainers have really confirmed what you've always told me since since I, I took those trainings from you is uh, knowing that market inside and out. And what I mean by that is not just knowing the demographic of your audience, but knowing their personality and their preferences and their likes and interests. So on the sales side, I know for sure, and I'm crystal clear that my target audience is a 35-year-old male who is a top performer in a sales capacity. He has two kids at home. He tends to be scatterbrained. (laughs) He needs some focus. And he's not afraid to try new sales tools if it means it will get him more meetings faster. He typically is, um, like I said, he needs more focus. And he's innovative. He's not afraid to try something new um, if he knows it'll give them the results that he needs. And he's typically the type of person where if I give him the lemonade stand and the, the glasses and the penny jar and the flyers, he'll build the lemonade stand himself and he will 
attract people to come by from him. So I'm very crystal clear about who he is on a professional level, but also who he is on a personal level. And that allows me to write my content differently so that it tailors specifically to him, that, that customer avatar, and how I choose to connect with those individuals. He's typically not a type A person, um, but he needs a little bit of a guidance when it comes to lead generation. So that's how I know. It's because of you, and I've really fine-tuned that audience over the years as I've worked with more individuals. It's very clear that there is a specific person who will pay lots of money for my services. Um, on the talent side, it's very, very different. And so as, thank you for checking out my website, my audiences are so different. So when I build out my website, I need to tailor my content very differently to whoever I'm speaking with. Yeah, um, and I like that from your perspective too because people are going in the right places. So not only is it better serving them, but it's better serving you because by the time I actually engage with you in order to work with you, you're already speaking to me on my level and you already know which level resonates with me. You know that if I come through the sales part of your your marketing funnel that you've got to talk to me a specific way. If I'm coming through the talent acquisition segment of your funnel, you know that I care about different things. So talk to us about that sales process. How are you turning these people into paid clients? How are you finding them? And Ashley, I also want you to touch on, this is a big task in this answer for you. I also want you to touch on for listeners, the fact that just because you've identified your customer avatars doesn't mean that you're pigeonholing yourself and you only work with that type of person. It just means that you better resonate, you more deeply resonate with the right people so that they find their way into your universe. So talk about that. How are people actually getting into these marketing funnels and how are you nurturing them so that you can close them to become a customer or client? Yeah, great question, Brian. So when they come through... A lot of them come through my website, but the majority of them do come through word of mouth and referrals. Um, and that probably is no surprise to a lot of the listeners um, that you engage with on your podcast. Uh, through my website in particular, I do get a contact us form and I, uh, I'm working on right now adding a few more questions to that specific form so that I can better gauge whether or not we're a fit for each other. And I firmly believe that, you know, in the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, I really struggled with whether or not I should say yes to every opportunity and or whether or not I should be selective. And I was selective in the beginning, maybe more so than I should have. However, now when someone comes through my website, I, I work to have a conversation with them in terms of whether or not we're a fit for each other. Do they, do, does their company have an active LinkedIn presence already? Uh, how many sales people do they have on their account team? So we do have that initial conversation because if I know it's going to be an uphill battle the whole day, whole way for me, it may not be a fit because then I might not be able to do my best work. Maybe I'll get frustrated or they'll get frustrated that I'm not delivering. So um, I am working on fine tuning and maybe I can get your help with that. Uh, from from my website perspective. Um, but otherwise, I'm finding the majority of my clients right now through active clients that I've already worked with. I always tell the people I work with, my customers, the best thing you can do is put your happy clients and your prospects in the same room with each other. Uh, 
because they're going, your client is going to be the best advocate for you and it will come from someone else. They'll be your endorsement. Um, and then I'm also, you talk about this a lot, uh, in your podcast with Sajad about providing value before they become a client. So I have a series of my lead generation strategy really starts with, uh, an infographic where I educate my sales audience on the current state of sales and how their buyer wants to engage with sales reps because sales 2.0 is so different even in the last two years than it ever has in our history. It's, it's a very unprecedented sales industry that we're in right now because buyers are overwhelmed with noise and content and they need to be they want to be educated with how to make their vendor decision. So I usually start with an infographic, something for free that they can download off my website. And then from there, I know that they're interested in similar material. Um, so I hope that answers your question. The third part of your question was about, okay, so I've got a customer avatar, but I don't want to pigeonhole myself in only working with those individuals. Um, certainly there are, large international clients that I have I have partnered with that don't fit that mold that don't fit that customer avatar um, and I don't know I don't really have an answer for that it just required some initial conversation and uh, I I hate to bring up Richard Branson and all his wonderful quotes but <laughs> I do always resonate with this one Brian is if someone asks, like if a client that you really want to work with and it fits personality wise, if they come to you and say, oh, well, can you do this? And you haven't done it yet, figure out how to do it. <laughs> because that has happened to me more times than I can count. And they've led to some of the biggest contracts and some of the best relationships that I've built over the last two years. Yeah, I love that. That's really good advice. And we are coming to the end of the interview, but I do want to squeeze a little bit more knowledge out of you. So I'm going to ask you a question. I actually have never asked this question on the podcast, but it keeps coming up when I talk directly to podcast listeners. They always ask me about this. So Ashley, I'm going to let you give your take on this. So what's the best piece of advice that you would give people when it comes to client-based work? And I'm going to put you on the spot here because I want to invite you to talk about that difficult client-based stuff, you know, those client projects where the end never really comes, you're constantly waiting on them. And I don't know how you structure your deals, but in a lot of cases, service providers will collect 50% upon completion, but then project completion never happens. What are some pieces of advice that you have for service providers when it comes to structuring your client relationships in a way that works for both of you and gets results because the project stays on task? Yeah, great question. Um, it's it's a little yeah. It's let me think about that. I do structure my mo the ninety percent of my uh, contracts and my uh, agreements are fifty percent upfront and fifty percent upon completion. Because back to the conversation we had earlier, Brian, it's it's about a. Um, a mutually beneficial, mutually respectful relationship where both of us are invested. I'm currently working with a client where I'm not sure if the end is in sight. Um, and I've been working with this client for over a year and there's just been a lot of turnover. And it's it's been a struggle because it's been a, a year-long uh, commitment on both of our ends. 
Um, I think there are times where it's important to really think critically about the relationship and is it and not be afraid to ask yourself if it's worth walking away from. Um, to me, it's at this stage in my career and in my business, it's not just about the money because I want to I want to feel like I'm making a, a difference in in their sales strategy. I want to feel like I'm providing value and even though maybe I'm getting the feedback verbally, uh, not all of the constituents are invested. Um, and so I think one of the best pieces of advice is if, if you do get into a relationship like that where you're struggling uh, to get the commitment on the other end, don't be afraid to have the serious conversations and to walk away if necess- if it comes to that. Um, I certainly have had hard conversations in with 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 clients where I've had to say you know you have you have communicated that I'm providing value but I'm not getting what I need in order to deliver what I said I was going to deliver and typically that makes them feel like typically that (laughs) makes them kind of look critically uh, because they don't want to look bad either in front of a consultant who's coming in to inform their sales strategy. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that's the best advice is, is not, don't be afraid to have the conversations, um, and structure it enough so that you, you get the money that you need up front so that you feel like you're invested in them. Yeah. And one thing that I have been sharing with newer entrepreneurs when they email me with this type of question is I always tell them, by all means, Ashley, I'm right there with you. Collect 50% up front. That's, that should be a non-negotiable. Every single service contract should have that in place. But the one shift that I started making in my entrepreneurial career a few years ago was anytime I do client-based work, I say it's 50% up front and the remaining 50% upon project completion or this date, whichever is sooner. So that way it sets a firm date in place for them that says, hey, if you're still dragging your feet by this date, you owe the remaining balance. It doesn't mean the project is over, but just from a cash flow perspective, you owe this remaining balance. And it's it's a win-win because for entrepreneurs, cash is king. You need that cash flow. So that's one thing that I've been incorporating into everything that I do. And I've been advising everyone who emails me with this type of question, make sure you build that into your client engagements. That's great advice, and I should take that advice too. <laughs> <laughs> Do it, Ashley. It, yeah. I'm telling you, it's such a good way to make sure that your cash flow is where you need it to be. It's tricky too because with service providers or uh, people who offer consultative services, sometimes it's retainer, sometimes it's hourly, and sometimes it's project-based. Um, for those of you who are interested, definitely read Alan Weiss's How to Become a Millionaire Consultant uh, because it, it breaks down those silos and how you should approach each one. And Brian, I know you have some great advice with regard to how to structure each of those. Um, but yeah, great advice all around and definitely something I can continue to finesse. Awesome. Ashley, I love that. Good advice, good resource to share with listeners. Now, you've been a wealth of knowledge, and the funny thing is we actually haven't even talked about your real bread and butter, which is social media. So, Ashley, I'd love to have you back on for a Strategy Wednesday episode where we can talk about the actual strategies that you help clients with. But, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Share with listeners where they can learn more about you and your business. Absolutely. Definitely go to untappedsocial.com 
just U-N-T-A-P social.com. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my time. All right. Sounds good. So you can find the link to Ashley's website, untapsocial.com on the show notes page. So head on over to the wantrepreneurshow.com. And Ashley, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Wantrepreneur to Entrepreneur podcast with your host, Brian Lofermento. For show notes and to get a free copy of Brian's book, visit us online at thewantrepreneurshow.com.